Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm late. The train's asleep. Shut up. You're here. And good thing, because we've got lots of work. The talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I'm very happy to bring you this episode. I spoke with John Benjamin Hickey, who is an actor. I'm not going to say veteran actor because, A, I dislike when people in the entertainment industry refer to non-entertainment industry people as civilians as if, um, I don't know, being on television and making zillions of dollars or not in my case, but in many cases, um, somehow qualifies as serving in the military. But he is an incredible Tony Award-winning actor. How's that? And incredibly handsome, objectively speaking. Again, these are just facts, the way that facts are understood in our culture these days. He's currently um, preparing to be in Six Degrees of Separation, and you should check it out if you are in New York. He also has a radio show, which we spoke about. And I've always been impressed because John Benjamin Hickey was out before it was acceptable to be out. It didn't cost him in his career. It didn't hurt him. Um, But it was brave. And I actually know many comedians who are still not out. And it always makes me sad because it is a very important reminder of the number of people who clearly still feel they cannot come out in professions where it's not encouraged to speak your mind. These are people who are not coming out in professions where one theoretically can. Enjoy my interview with John Benjamin Hickey. I'm very excited to be sitting here with John Hinckley. No wow. one knew that I would be able to be. Was that not who this is? Oh, it's not. I'm <laughs> sorry. I, 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 they let me out. Um, can we make jokes at this point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do know. I mean, okay. You, you, so you know it's not John Hinckley. Not only that, the audience should know that it is the one and only John Benjamin Hickey, who is one of my favorite actors, and you're going to get to see him in Six Degrees of Separation, which is coming April 2017, if you haven't already seen him on The Big C or maybe Manhattan. Um, uh, you've made me so happy. Or because The Normal Heart, which is where I saw you The first. Normal Heart. Oh, gosh, yes. But you've made me so happy because, uh, you know, I have spent my a large part of my life correcting people from saying, <laughs> for the longest time in the 80s and 90s, people would just look at my name and see John Hickey, because I wasn't necessarily John Benjamin Hickey until I became a professional actor, because I had to take the Benjamin, um, because somebody else was named John Hickey in Equity and SAG. But it was fortuitous, yeah. um, because yes, <laughs> when people saw the name John Hickey, they automatically just said Hinkley. <laughs> and it was uh, crazy. And I actually did a movie once with Jodie Foster, and I was like, I wonder if she sees my oh. name and sees that name. Um, Especially in LA. Not even, I'm not worried about Jodie Foster. I'm worried about the like intern who is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Who's yeah. Like, Guys, I don't know. If, should, should we tell her? Should we tell her? Exactly. Or maybe exactly. So I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> that that was, uh, that you were making that mistake on purpose. <laughs> I was doing it on purpose. But I did want to ask, you have been immersed in this world and you went to Juilliard, which means that you were already very, very, very good at a oh, young age. Yeah. Um, Maybe so. But I also wonder, I grew up in D.C. where, like, it wasn't enough to graduate number one in your Yale Law School class mm. or um, 
you know, get a Rhodes Scholarship. It was like, well, have you, you know, legislated, you know, in your 20? You know, there was so much pressure, and I froze under that. Some people yeah. thrive under that, yeah. and, like, the most zen is to not even think about it. Right, right, and right. And to just, like, follow your heart. Did did you feel that there? Did, did you experience that there coming from Texas and then all of a sudden being exposed to the best and the brightest? Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's such a interesting journey. Um, I did not dare dream big enough to be to say I wanted to be a professional actor. I was going to study film theory and criticism. My dad loved movies. My dad, I think my dad may have turned me on to Pauline Kael, although how that oh, wow. happened in Plano, Texas, because he was not an intellectual. I don't know where he got his hands on one of her movie reviews, but I started reading her when I was young. So I thought maybe I was going to study film theory and criticism, anything to avoid what I really wanted to be, which was an actor. And, um, and why that, was that? Why because was that? I was too, I was too, um, what's the word? A realistic. I yeah. was too sober. I was, we, you know, I didn't come from a lot of money. I was yes. lucky enough just to get to New York City to finish school in English uh, degree at Fordham University. And in my senior year at Fordham, on a whim, I auditioned for Yale, Juilliard, a few of the other schools. And never in a million years thought I would get in. Was so sure I wouldn't get in that I didn't do any of the pre-stuff you have to do to apply for financial aid and scholarships. Oh, you have wow. to do that before. You can't say you can't get accepted and say, "Oh, by the way, I don't have any money." It's you know you have to yes. let them know first. Yeah. Um, I auditioned, and I, I remember like yesterday when I got the letter. It was like a golden ticket. It yeah. was it, seriously it was like I, I can't believe what I'm reading. I mean. You know, 1,500 students, potential students audition, and they accept 15, so your chances are exactly that. I know that. people on both sides of the fence, yeah, those who got yeah. in and those who didn't. Yeah. And so I think it was just – it was um, – the, the long answer to your question is, is I, I think as soon as I got that validation mm-hmm. – there was sort of no turning back. So, of course, I was overwhelmed every moment of every day wondering how the – can you curse on this show? You can do whatever yeah, how you the fucking fuck want. did I wind up here? <laughs> but you, you didn't have time to – you know, show business hates that kind of fear. Yes. Uh, and Juilliard is a great breeding ground not only for a profession in, in serious, legitimate acting, but for show business because it's, it's, uh, it's merciless. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I think it is such an important thing. I, wa- I wonder how many years I've spent being neurotic, feeling bad, ruminating. That are it's just a waste. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't actually help complete no. the book or d- yeah. do whatever it is that one is working on. Yeah. Um, don't you find that it doesn't really go away the older you get? I mean, no. I've gotten better at acknowledging yeah, that it's happening, absolutely, and either like tabling it at some point, like mm-hmm. cutting it off at some point, and not giving it more leverage past a certain point. Right. That's what I would say. I think as I get older, I get more um, just honest. Yeah, yeah. And it's (laughs) like, this is where, that's perfect. That's the perfect way to describe (laughs) it. Like, and also it's like, okay, this is how it feels right now. Yes. It, I don't, I, I'm a better at not making everything global and eternal, you Absolutely. know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there it's so hard because you're also with all these other actors who are also in their late teens and early 20s. Yeah. So you have like, in any high school, college situation, people are drama queens. Oh my God. But then God. like heighten it. Yeah, young people. <laughs> 
And, you know, oh, people, you know, like everybody's kind of fucking everybody and what li- literally so or figuratively exciting. was really, but you have to, you know, you have to remember God, it's 15 fun. of you for four years. That's very small. I know, class. but that's more sex than I probably have. I know, but lifetime. then you get sick of each other very, very quickly and then you start going for upperclassmen or underclassmen. Um, Laura Linney, I, we didn't fuck Laura and I, but we, Laura and I were very close friends at Juilliard and, uh, and, and later in, Life, 25 years later, she was very instrumental in me playing her brother on the big C. Which was fantastic. That was the first and last um, show about cancer that I really liked. Yeah, it was t- I just thought it was <laughs> terrific. And um, and and I my whole MO there, or my, my lesson in that is like, oh, always be nice to your underclassmen because you never know who is going to be in a position to help you out, you know, later in life. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. Between yeah. Laura and Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen, Laura Linney. God, he was definitely not at Juilliard. Uh, he was definitely not at Juilliard. <laughs> although, um, I, although they would, like, Juilliard would be lucky to have somebody like Andy. I think they would regret it now, but yes. I like, I cannot imagine. Absolutely. I can, I'm built like him, and I just can see him saying something in class yeah. that, like, got him kicked out even if he was an A student. Should we let listeners know that I'm good? We were talking before we started that I'm very oh. good friends with Andy Cohen. Or yes. maybe we and you and you have a radio show on Andy's network on Sirius XM. Yeah, my favorite song about people's favorite songs. Um, is it a weekly show? How often? it is a weekly show, although it hasn't been weekly because I've been so otherwise employed, engaged that I have not been able to do it. So they've been doing a few reruns, but I've had amazing guests: Sarah Jessica Parker, who's that? Uh, Never Leanna, heard of her. Liam Neeson. Never heard of him. Gwyneth Paltrow. Any of these people? I don't know. I them. know. I got Ellen Burstyn. To oh, come on my best. show. I know. I was so st- – that was the one of the only times I was truly nervous because she just – I'm just in such awe of her and her body of work and her yes. – You can't screw around in that No, in no, that no, no, moment. no, no. You know that you have limited time with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had great song choices too. So, yeah, it's fun. it's been fun being pals with Andy because uh, – he um, he's opened doors, radio doors, which I never knew I wanna, were there. I want to meet Andy now. We'll have to do that. I would love that. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about playwrights in part because I think as an actor, you can talk about them with more honesty and objectivity mm-hmm. than I think if I was asking a playwright. I've had a ton of playwrights on my oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Um, it seems in some ways, and it seems like it's changing, but it seems like a very moneyed world. Mm. So I would know a lot of directors who are – playwrights who would get chances to move up Broadway, mm-hmm. who sort of uh, fit of an old school, either wasp or Jewish stereotype, perhaps in my head. Mm-hmm. I may be like only, you know, seeing that. Yeah. And I was so happy to see like Paula Vogel yeah. now on Broadway Brilliant. and Lynn Nottage. And yeah. I was curious, like when you were starting out, did you see that with a lot of gay playwrights as well? Um, yeah, that's... Uh, Meaning that they weren't getting produced as easily and, and getting Well, I, actually, I don't... Think so. I, okay, I think quite the quite the. I mean, I can only speak to my specific experience. Yes. Um, I didn't have. I had. I probably had blinders on more now than I did then. I was very. What's the word? Myopic, solipsistic. You know, I was keeping my eyes focused. on focused. I was focused. <laughs> I was ambitious as all get out and focused. And weirdly, my ambition because people have asked me this in context of coming out of the closet and you know. And you, never, you were never in. I was never really in. I don't think. I mean, I probably there was a few years, but I was also never in a position like that. A movie star finds themselves in, like, you know, let's say if George Clooney was gay. He's not. But, like, you know, if, if somebody's in a position where 
millions and millions of dollars are being made on them, then, then that's, that's a struggle that's different than an actor living in New York who is and knows he is gay and is scared to come out because, you know, of all of those fears attached to something like that. But to the, this goes back to the playwright thing. I also came of age and uh, came out of Juilliard at the height of AIDS. Yes. And it was a very, very, very uh, tragic and horrible, calamitous uh, political time. And as a result, through that, because of that adversity, amazing art was being made. And, you know, Terrence McNally wrote Love, Valor, Compassion. Yeah. Uh, Craig Lucas, Tony Kushner. Yeah. Um, Robbie Bates. Yeah. Um, Paula Vogel. You know, these playwrights, all of those I mentioned are gay. You know, we're writing plays that were reflecting this terrible war, calamity we were going through. And, and to me, not because they were gay, they were writing the most exciting plays. They were the cool kids. Yes. And I've always been a, a climber that way. I've always wanted to be where the cool kids are because I didn't think I was very cool. So a therapist once said to me, I was like, why was I so popular in high school? And they're like, well, I think your MO was they can't hit a moving target. Nice. Like as long as – I think we all have that experience. As long as I keep busy. No, I don't think everyone was the yeah. cool kids in, in Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I never – I was always chasing the cool kids. But yeah. I just think I kept moving in order not to be found out, whatever that was right. to be found out. Um, I, can, I can relate. Yeah. Um, I had Larry Kramer on the oh, show. Oh, God, yes. And um, I want to talk a little bit also, and this is perhaps a hindsight question, but um, yeah, looking back, now that we're in an, an – an age again, mm-hmm. although I could, we could also argue we've never left that age. No, but, exactly. You know, but where activism is so urgent and so needed, mm-hmm. did, did doing the normal heart feel like activism at the time? Do you think, like, what are the positive effects, basically, of art in terms of being? Yeah. Uh, you know, at least building awareness. Yeah. Where do you see the positive effects and where do you see like, I don't know how much this really did. Um, I thought I'd never done anything before or since. I mean, in some ways, the Terrence McNally play I did uh, was uh, subversively political because it was in many ways just sort of an old fashioned, you know, Kaufman and Hart play. Three acts filled with sentiment without being overly sentimental because Terrence is such a great writer. But its politics were hidden in very um, universal sort of feelings of love and death and family. Well, Larry's play is a Cassandra cry. It's a, it's a really – it's a work of great agitprop. It is a political rallying cry. And when we did it, I didn't realize that so much. But one of the, the most extraordinary thing about doing that piece – was not the reactions of the people who had lived through it, um, which were, I mean, you could hear them, the audible calling up of that hidden, or, or not repressed, maybe in some cases, but that, that long ago laid dormant grief yeah. being brought back up. But also all the young people saying, God, we didn't realize that in many ways this was ground zero of where AIDS in the United States, you know, began. And that you, the, the gay community was so completely disenfranchised. We feel disenfranchised. So I think a lot of young people not only saw it as a history lesson, but saw it as a Cassandra cry. Like, oh, we get this guy, Ned Weeks, because we feel disenfranchised too. We feel like nobody's hearing our voice. And just cut to the day after Trump was elected, I was walking through Washington Square Park and there was so much grief and so much anger yeah. from so many young people. And I was like, this, is, this reminds me 
of New York in the early 80s. And when, you know, gay people got together and were screaming bloody murder. Um, and so I, it's like we're living through another time of great adversity in which people can start to feel like they need to plug in in a big way and have their voices heard. Did you did it. you feel like you got something cathartic out of it? Oh my gosh, yes. I got a Tony Award. No, I'm just I kidding. mean, that's kind of bigger than the catharsis. I watched <laughs> your award speech. It was cathartic. a very nice, it, that, that was, is the biggest catharsis you know, one could hope for. And Viola Davis gave me my award oh, and I, and I've known, overheated. I know, I know, I've known her forever and love her so much and. And she and I had her hold my Tony while I made my speech. And afterwards, she's like, "She shouldn't have done that because now all the pictures of you, you're not holding your 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 Tony award." Hilarious. I was like, "Oh shit!" But I was, I mean, I was talk about shaking in your boots. Vi has some experience now giving those speeches, so I uh, I totally defer to her. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that play was just so great. You know, it was deeply, deeply emotionally exhausting, psychologically exhausting. But, you know, it was also a lot of fun. It was a lot. We had fun doing that incredibly tragic AIDS play. is fun. Age is fun. I mean, you know, is that the <laughs> title of our... <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, was, I was both sincerely asking because it, uh, uh, like, you know, you're talking about how this is affecting all these young people. And the thing about the AIDS movement, there are there's so many different facets of it, but one, to see a group of peers that are um, people you can relate to and yeah. be like, this is how they dealt with such dire circumstances. Yeah. And there is at least a semblance of a roadmap there. Like yeah. I'll, I'll look to South America and I'll look to, you know, Spain and I'm looking to all these countries <laughs> and how they recovered. But they they were coming from dictatorships to yeah. democracies or, right, or aspiring right. to, Absolutely. which is, this is the first time where we're like, are we going yeah, in that direction? Yeah. Which way are we moving? Yeah. And so I think that that also gives a lot of, in, in addition to hope, also gives some sense of a map of what to do and what perhaps yeah. not to do. And yeah. Um, yeah. at the same time, I am really happy for all the wrong reasons that it shows how serious, like the fact that the hospital, the very doctors that everyone's office that we walk into would not take someone yeah, who was dying. Absolutely. Would not treat them. Yeah. And I think that that lesson is really important because I'll, I'll sometimes hear people sort of snidely say like, oh, this will be better. We're going to get a better democracy now yeah, out of this. Right, and right. I'm like, you know how many people are going to die in that process? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the only way you're going to get a better democracy is if you keep banging at the door that you choose to bang on in which to have your voice heard. Because that's the that's the story of the normal heart. It's a, it's about a group of men in, in Larry's play, Larry specifically, who, um, in spite of losing vast amounts of friends to the disease, but yeah. also just to and his to Larry's, uh, to Larry's being Larry, <laughs> obnoxious and totally. too loud, too much, too yeah. everything. Um, a door got pushed open, and yes. people's lives got saved. and And I think it's a, a phenomenal uh, parable for today. I um and it's a it's a great segue, Elson, and it's the only segue to my next I question. I love a segue. Um, but I had just seen um, Andrew Rannells. I'm why am I blanking? 
Hold on one second. Ah, falsettos. falsettos. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I was upset that it was so relevant. It was yeah, fabulous. No, fabulous. But I was there was a part of me that wanted it to be like, oh, that was dated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. You want to see it as this museum piece. Um, Normal Heart's the same way. It's like, but it's incredibly relevant. Oh, God, that was a gorgeous production. And I, also good. I was going to say the same with Six Degrees of Separation. So, yeah. I mean, it was such a... First of all, so many people take credit for that phrase, Six Degrees of I Separation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's always supposed to be Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's, I know. It's become... And I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who... Because I, at the time the play was first produced, I don't think there was a Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. That yeah. came a few years later. Yeah. Um, he was still... He was in a klezmer band with his brothers at the time. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he was still... He was still Kevin Bacon. But I don't think he had done enough to give us six degrees. Maybe there were 12 degrees of Kevin Bacon at that point in <laughs> time. Two. Although he's been around a long time. Um, yeah, John uh, thought that up. I mean, it's incredible to, to bring up six degrees, you know, comparing it to the experience of where the normal heart, how it, how it resonated, you know, five or six years ago when we did it, how falsettos resonates. And six degrees is a... A play about about the huge gulf that exists between our cultures, our races, our classes. Yeah, it hits class, uh, race, yeah. and um, yeah. the con man. I really want to talk about yeah. um, Hampton because he went at so the. It's about a guy pretending. Oh, yeah. That he really was the... Yeah. Um, uh, uh, John Guare was on his way to London, or his friends, um, Oz and Inger Elliot. The Elliots were their names. Um, and they were, uh, they came to London with their South African friend, and that character is in the play as well. And John was there, and, um, and they said, we have got a story to tell you. You're not going to believe the story. They told him the story, and then... Other friends told them a story, and they were like, wait a minute, that same thing happened to us from the same guy. John heard this story in 1984, 85, maybe a little earlier than that. And then seven years later, in basically one, in this, this, this play, this story, this weird story he heard, stayed in the very, very back of his mind, growing in his brilliant garden of a mind, which is truly brilliant. Seven years later, his wife was late getting home one afternoon, so he had the whole afternoon to himself. He sat and wrote the play in seven hours. Monday, he sent it to Bernie Gersten at Lincoln Center. Tuesday morning, Bernie called him and said, we're putting it into production in two weeks. That's how quickly, that's how long it took for it to grow in his mind. That's how quickly he got it out on paper. And the version that we know as the play is the version that he wrote. I mean, they probably worked on it in production quite a bit, but mm, you know, it was the story. It's still remarkable. I remember like these tales that like Bill Clinton could read like a six hundred page book in you know one plane ride and this kind of stuff, and and the idea that like John could just sit down and I don't want to say churn out, but you know, (laughs) create this masterpiece so quickly is pretty. I saw Jez Butterworth. I'm such a huge fan of. Could that be like? I don't think there is a waspier name. I have a friend whose parents are Kitty and Smith Hempstone. Oh my! Well, Weeza and Flan (laughs) Kittredge is pretty freaking uh, waspy too. That's good. Though your friends are good, but Jez Butterworth wrote Jerusalem, one of the most brilliant playwrights working today. And I saw him at a wedding recently, and he told me I read the intro to John's play. John wrote a preface to an author's note about the play, and he told this story that I just told you. 
And Jess said, I, I, I read it to remind myself that it's back there. It's, yeah. it's back in, our, it's the, in the back of my mind and it's just taking its time to come out. So let it grow. Wait to make sure the door's open to hear the voices, but you know, let them be. And that time isn't wasted. No, exactly. Um, I do want to ask about reinventing a role. I mean, it was, you know, Cunningham and then and, and uh, Donald Stockard. Sutherland. And then and... St- Donald Sutherland. I have not. I saw the movie many years ago and loved it so much that I dare not watch it again. Um. Well, I'm, I'm glad you don't have to, um, you know, go after. Um, I, why am I forgetting her name? And I'm Stockard? Thank you. Oh, I apologize, Stockard. Oh, that's Channing. like, yeah, you know, you can't. You can forget her because, you know, we all know who she is because it's an yeah. indelible actress and indelible what, performance. Yeah. What if I thought you were playing Will Smith's character? Well, I mean, <laughs> that would be a stretch. But that it's would a be that would be the ultimate take. con, wouldn't it? That would be the ultimate con. Yeah, yeah. I got to get you this book, by the way, Maria Kornikova. Oh. Um, yeah, I know that name. About con men? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's oh, really yeah. Good. Yeah. Make sure I get it. I'll give it to Corey, who's playing that part too. Yeah. That's. Um, I mean, the, the the original production was one of the great highlights of my theater-going life. Uh, I loved the movie too, and I only wanted to do it again. I only wanted to do it when asked because of how. A, Allison Janney, who's my dear, dear friend, and my this is like my seventh or eighth job with her. Um, and I was like, when I got the offer, I was like, oh, I don't know. I remember that original production so vividly. And then I read the play and I was like, wow, this play is every bit as prescient, as relevant, as alive and kicking as it was all those years ago. So let's do it. Let's see what we can do with it. And so do you watch the previous performances or you're saying you don't? Um, I don't. I, I would yeah. not. I mean, uh, if I didn't think they were any good, yeah. I, I might be right. more inclined to see what a blueprint of the play is. Um, uh, but I'm a, the biggest Donald Sutherland fan and I'm nothing like him. He's nothing like it's me. It's almost I'm a, easier to be so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you do your thing with it. I mean, you you – you don't – I will steal from the best and I've spent my career stealing from people who I love. I, I think that's one of the great um, joys of being an actor. You should pilfer. You should keep your eyes open. And when you see something you love, figure out how they did it and and p- make that part of your arsenal if you can, if you can make it you know, organic to your own thing. It's funny. I just had Zadie Smith, um, the writer on my show, and Brilliant. she always says that about writing too. And yeah. it, it was so, it was sort of striking to hear because I'm – I feel so waylaid, you know, I hope this is original enough. Am I making right. a, a point that no one has made before? And, of course, that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> Everything's been done. Yes. It's just you find different ways of doing it. And stealing is not the same thing as, as plagiarizing. No. It's, it's, just, it's just being so alive to the experience that you absorb it. It goes into your stew and it comes out your way, I guess, I think, I hope. Um, how- I'm doing Donald Sutherland, okay? I'm just doing that. <laughs> how um, do you create chemistry when there isn't any? Like, before uh, we got wow. on the air, I just even remember going in for commercial auditions. This isn't even for real acting auditions. <laughs> and having not only zero chemistry with a yeah. guy who, like, wouldn't make eye contact with me, but irritated that he wouldn't yeah, make eye contact yeah. with me. And I'm like, you know this is going to hurt both of us if we don't go in together. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? How do you how do you create that when you don't necessarily have that with your partner, either because you don't <sighs> bat for that team and you're playing yeah. a heterosexual role, or even worse, I would think, is someone you just don't like. Don't dig, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've been so lucky with uh, <laughs> with with um, with um, especially my leading women and my leading men. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. I mean, God, you know, I'm gay, but I wasn't gay when I was making that movie with her. You're only a fool wouldn't want to kiss Kate <laughs> Blanchett. I just adored her, and she was so amazing in this play she just did in the same theater I'm going to be in. Yes, the present. Yeah, um, I uh, and I have you know great love and uh, chemistry with Allison and um, I don't know. It's a very good answer. I, I don't know if there is an answer to that question. For me, I, you know, I'm sure there's something you, you substitute, somebody that so you So who have. do you substitute? Well. Who's on your vision board? Oh, wow. That's a good, uh, that's a good question. So let's say I'm playing, well, I would never, I'm, I'm fluid enough in my thinking everybody, man, women, are hot, so I don't think I need to substitute a guy for a girl or a girl for a I guy. I was going to share mine with you. Oh, well, do it. Nicholas Cazal. Nicholas Google Cazal. him right now. <laughs> oh, wow, my phone's off. Tell me what Nicholas Cazal has been. I think I he's gorgeous. I sent him to Andrew Reynolds, too. <laughs> Nicholas Cazal. I know that name. He's an, um, a model in Paris. Oh, well, he's mine, too. <laughs> Jesus, a French model? Okay, well, that's all you had to tell me. Yes, that for me, I don't I know who he is. I think he's married. I'm sure he has children. I'm ma- sure his well, wife it's is not better like, than he is. You're not, you're, we're not literally going no. to drop the F-bomb on him. We're just going to use him. <laughs> we're just going to cut his face out and paste it on our, you know, significant other. But in all sincerity, do, do you replace the person with someone else or do you... Do you... No, yeah, I mean, I think if it's not going well, it usually doesn't last very long. Okay. Or you get through the scene quickly enough. It's that enough. palpable. Yeah. But, but I certainly will substitute. If I'm not feeling the right thing, I'll think of something that makes me feel that thing. Yeah. That gives me that spiritual boner or for that person. You know, yeah. We you, always use the phrase for now on spiritual boner. Spiritual boner. <laughs> Can we name the show that, please? Spiritual boner. We have to pitch a show to Andy Cohen. Yeah, called, exactly. he'll love that. He would love that. Spiritual boner. It's better than AIDS is fun. <laughs> AIDS yeah. is fun. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Especially as its numbers are sadly increasing again. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, nuts. Can you talk a little bit about passing? I, I fantasize that there was this freedom in being honest about who you were as a human uh-huh. so that you could then play roles where you were in a, you know, a heterosexual. But, of course, this is the grass is greener kind of thing. Right, right, right. Here, um, how often do you get called in for roles that are gay versus right. straight versus – I, mean, I, I, I didn't mean to box you into those oh, two because no, no, it's I'm, a binary. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to be so binary. Yes, thinking. don't be so binary. Um I've never, you know, I, first of all, I'm a character actor, and that's that's never, you know, uh, a leading character. I'm a lead, actor. I, yeah, I play leading parts a lot of the times, but it's just never been a uh, been a thing for me. I've played a, as probably as many straight parts as I've lost count, and I I didn't really ever give enough of a shit to count. I mean, that right. was always as you I, should continue to. Yeah, exactly. Also, because you're just gonna lose good, your memory anyway. Exactly, so. a good part is a good part, and you know. I just was thinking of my friend John Slattery, great, the great, oh. great actor. He's one of my best friends. And, you know, John's played, of course, many more straight parts than he would. But he's, he's to me, you know, to me a quintessential New York actor. And he's one of my favorite actors. I don't think it would ever occur to him if he got offered a part and it was as good as, the, say, the part he played so indelibly in Three Days of Rain many, many years yes. ago with Patty Clarkson at MTC. That guy character was gay. And 
I mean, if it's a great part, I don't think you think really think twice about it. Maybe 25 years ago, we would have 20 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago, there was some thought of like, oh, I've played two gay parts. I should, or, I, you know, I, this is a gay part. Should I, you know, talk to my agents about this? I, it never, ever, ever crosses my mind. And I think I, I remember a beautiful quote by Andrew Rannells, who's a full generation two younger than me, 30, and I, I yeah, okay. yeah, exactly, and I adore <laughs> him. I, 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 Andrew said in, a, in an interview once, he's like, I, I'm ha perfectly happy if all the parts I play for the rest of my life are gay, as long as they're as good as the ones I'm playing now. I, yeah. I, think, I, think, I think we're wonderfully losing keeping track of that. Yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, so in terms of parts, your husband writes for television. He's, uh, unfortunately, he's not my husband, but oh, I need to. I, we need to get. Can married I be more of a to, Jewish mom? No, I love it. Let's let's get this. Get ball him on the phone. Motion. I need some, you know, security, baby. I need a ring. Put a yeah, ring on it. We are partners, and we have been together for many years, 13 years. That sounds so much more healthy than, yeah, than, yeah. than husband. To, <laughs> needing to put a ring on it for no yes, reason. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, but in your your partner, I always feel like it just sounds like you guys are setting up an architecture for I know. It's crazy. Partner's bad. Boyfriend's bad at our age. Okay. So husband your would be lover. Good. Maybe that'll happen. Uh, um, my lover. Yeah. Um, he he works in television. Yes, he does. And the real question that I was trying to ask is, <laughs> how is it when one person is working and another person isn't? He's he was on Cheers. He started out as an actor. Uh, yeah, right? he was started out as an actor. Um, he was on a show called Paper Dolls in the '80s, which is available on YouTube. It's so fun to watch him on that. It was a million years ago. But he very quickly segued into. Uh, into, you know, found that the acting world wasn't working for him. And he was yeah. started writing spec scripts and he was really, really good at it and wrote on Wings, Cheers. Modern Family. And now Modern Family. He was Frasier for many years and, uh, and um, Modern Family. If he had created either of those shows, yeah, Frasier, I would have married him ring. and divorced him long ago. Well, and make sure you do it in, uh, in California. Yes, exactly. I would have sure. all happened out there. I'd be sitting out at my house in Malibu. I know. Um, I, yes, he's been on Modern Family for um, seven of its eight seasons. And two of his very best friends and great colleagues of his, the great Steve Levitan um, and uh, Chris, Chris Lloyd created it. And um, he has a ball writing on that show. I mean, writing for those actors, it's just a blast. And he's, I, I can't remember what, you were asking something about My me. question was like, when one of you is working and the other isn't, does that come up at all? Does that, you know, how do you respond to that? And it may, may not be an issue for you at all. I mean, oh, you have it's it totally, okay. yeah, it's a total <laughs> pain. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to hear this story again. Um, you know, uh, I, fortunately, all it's never about the actors. He also loves that staff of writers too. But that's such a great. That's just one of those things where it's it's you can't. That's not a formula. They just got lightning in a bottle. Every single one of those actors on that show is so fantastic. They're so brilliant. So there's never complaining about that. But he does. But he has stability. I mean, it's a rare show that becomes such a successful hit, and he happens to have. Obviously, he's a gifted writer, but there's also some luck yeah. to it to have all of those shows um, resonate since we all know, based on uh, political voting, that yeah, totally. <laughs> logic doesn't always play out in Absolutely. real life. Absolutely. So, you know, he's had a, he's had a relatively stable Absolutely. run in our business. And you don't, even though you work all the time. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I don't. And you're doing superbly well in work yeah. all the time. Yeah. But by the very nature of being an actor— 
you your job can go at any moment. Oh, please. And I've been there have been huge stretches of time when I, especially when I've been out in LA either looking for work or just hanging out with him because he lives and works in LA where it's like, "Hey, how was your day? What did you do today?" And you're like, "If you ask me that one more time, I'm going to fucking, you know, because for, especially in LA, it's so hard to fill the day when you're not working." I um, felt so I felt so inadequate. It's sort of inter- it's a huge metropolitan city, right? Yeah. I mean, I have friends who work in urban planning who don't work in the business, and yet I would feel so inadequate. I should feel inadequate here when there are all these other people and I don't. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's also like, okay, I went to the gym and I had my lunch and it's 1.30. Okay, what am I going to do until 5.30 when either he gets home or this thing happens? As in New York, you never think that I'm way. I'm never like, like oh, su- how do I fill time? Yeah, suddenly the day is over. I'm not disparaging L.A., although I am. No, but um, it, it, it's internal. Yeah, like, that's yeah. what I'm sort of saying. It's the, the whole it's experience. It's a weird, different is, clock. It's an yeah, internal thing. It there's really is. Lot, there, there are so many people there. <laughs> it's yeah, it's true. It's a huge city. It really is. Um, you know, but the... The, one of the great things that I love seeing in him is when he has a hiatus, I can literally leave for rehearsal that morning and come back and he's still in the same chair reading the same book. Yeah. I mean, he's gotten up and had lunch and taken a shower or whatever, but it's like he loves having time off in a way completely different than me because I don't have anything, nothing's that stable in my life. Yes, and you're not boxed in. No. You could even use a standing desk or even a treadmill yeah. desk. I could. Oh, man. I got to get one of those. I have a friend who stands on a wobble board. Because that strengthens your core? Yeah. Wow. And then she'll, like, be reading Nietzsche. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. I, I, I want to do that. Maybe I'll do my performance in this play on a wobble board. Oh, that that will be, the, be the big difference between me and Donald Sutherland. That would be the best. I will be on a wobble board. Um, you, to me, theater seems so... Um, I love it as an audience member to go, but it seems so difficult um, to do discipline wise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough sport, and in some ways, I would imagine I call it a sport because yeah, you have yeah. to be I'm all for it. in physical shape. Yes, you do. To be there, you know, every night. And I'm glad that you have a limited run in some ways because yeah. you know that there'll be an ending. But as you get older, does that impact you at all? Oh, my Or how God. do you deal with that? Yes. Yeah. Um, I saw, again, speaking of my pal Slattery, uh, he did the front page so I saw him. I know. He was great. Um, and he I don't was know like, why I screamed that, but no, it's I good. thought it's it was, a, he was scream, very fun. He's scream worthy. <laughs> I'd see him. You know, we'd hang out on a Monday or something, and he'd be like, I, I, I get down on one knee three times during the show, and, and my knee is – I can't even walk. And, and it just, just makes me feel the, so much better. Yeah, the older you get, <laughs> doing the same exact thing eight times a week yeah. takes a f- toll on you physically in a way that it didn't when you were a kid. So, you know, you're walking down the street, and you're like, why is my shin so bad? It's like, right. oh, that's right. I run into that thing eight times a week. And, yeah, and in, in Six Degrees, it's interesting because – there's four or five of us who are in our yeah. um, in the play, and then all the rest of the cast are these kids. Gross. Um, and so <laughs> gross. I hate them all so much because they're all so brilliant and I know, it's like, beautiful. And hi, nice to meet you. And I'm sure they're lovely. I just want to be your age. I know. I know. And they're able to just, you know, jump up and down and yell and scream. And, and at five thirty in the afternoon, when we have thirty minutes left to rehearsal, they're gung ho about doing it again. 
And Allison and I are like, all right, get up. Help me up. Help me up. Yeah, yeah. You just also, I always have to remind myself, I was miserable in my 20s. Like, in a way, I was very lost. Everything seemed larger than life. Sort of what we were talking about with Juilliard. You know, yeah. the, that everything felt very dramatic. Yes, yes, it's true. It's it, true. You do have a calmness as you get older. Yeah, you do. I don't, I don't know if you have it as much about the theater. <laughs> <laughs> no. But but you you certainly have a little bit more. You're a little bit more sanguine about like the you know ups and downs of this the too shall pass and no yeah. and having perspective as, as to what matters. Yeah, I would say exactly. that much. But I when you just said that, I actually was going to take back what I said earlier because I sometimes when I've interviewed people who are really old in their 80s or 90s who are brilliant, brilliant at what they do, and, and some have retired, there is a skittishness there, and I understand it. And there is some of the skittishness of life as you get older, too, that you sort of have to yeah. fight, but it's also, I have so much compassion at the yeah. moment. Yeah, how, what are the Garfunkel, Simon and Garfunkel, how very strange to be 70? I mean, now that song, if it was written now, would be how very strange to be 90, because 90 is sort of the new 70. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's some things, of course, some things get a lot easier. Some things, not so much. So what's one thing that's gotten easier and one thing that's gotten tougher oh, as you're boy. Re rehearsing for 60 years? Uh, yeah, let's keep it in the context of a play. Um, yeah, we don't have to talk about yeah, ejaculation. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, there's that. <laughs> ejaculation is a whole other six degrees of ejaculation. Um, I, uh, oh boy, I think, um, well, I mean, the obvious is it's, it's tougher to learn your lines. Uh, so much so that Alice and Janney called me, we started rehearsals um, in uh, uh, February. Yeah. We started working on our lines together in November. I would go over to her house in LA on Sundays and we would get this person who she works with to uh, run lines with us and it took us two and a half months to learn the first half of the play. Um, it took us two weeks to learn the second half of the play, which is an odd thing. I think that's just because you, I think out of practice, Yeah, Out of practice, that's yeah. my I was think I was doing it based on, I just went to Paris and like re remembering French. Yep. You know what yep, I mean? Yep, and, yep, and so yep. like by the end, I was fine. <laughs> yeah, we had some muscles that were attached to it. Uh, and that, so that definitely gets harder. But one of the things that gets easier I would like to think that it's a little bit easier to stay in the moment, speaking to that thing yeah. you were talking about before. You know, it's like, you know, if, if acting is being alive to the possibility of the moment, you know, I, it's a little bit easier to sort of like try your, you know, let, let go of the control of how the scene's supposed to go and, and, and let it be what it wants to be. You know, I mean, it's it's very interesting with this with this play because there are quite a few people out there who have a very very vivid memory of the original production. Yes, and this is not the original production. Totally, this is a totally different thing. And we may stand, we may fall. You know, it. it but but what I don't want it to be is a pale imitation, and that I know it won't be. It's a very different group of people, very different director, and that makes it exciting for me. I also um, envy that actors. I could never do what you you do, but I you went I, on commercial auditions. Yeah, what am I talking about? That's acting. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. And um, but I to have real intimacy when it works every mm -hmm. night with mm -hmm. with who you're acting with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, it happened today, and I had a moment in rehearsal today where Allison has this just this amazing speech. It's at the end of the play, and I, I won't give it away. It's a very famous speech in the play, but it's about wishing that she could have something in her life that she could call an experience as opposed to just a story, just a thing you tell. I want it to ha have meaning. 
And I got so moved. I mean, really, like I couldn't go on with the play, A, because how brilliantly Allison was doing it, but I really have intimacy with her. She's somebody I've known and loved for close to 30 years. And so wow. it was like we were saying to each other, like, wow. It's like she was saying to me in that speech, well, yesterday we were 25 years old and we had not a care in the world. And look at us now. What happened in those 25 years? Were there experiences? You know, so that to me is the definition of intimacy. Yes. Because usually you're jumping in bed with Kate Blanchett and it's a lot of fun. That's every day for me. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it should be for all of us. But you have to pretend like you know what it's like to kiss her or to rub your thumb on her forehead. Yes. And just, you know, that's acting. Um, so when you have somebody that you're, you feel true intimacy with, it really does, there's a lot of your homework gets done. I think I'm going to end there because it's such a oh. beautiful note. Oh, good. A good, nice note. Um, I'm excited to check out your show as well. I'm, I'm very happy. My radio show? Yes. Yeah, it's my favorite song on Sirius XM, but please come and see Six Degrees of Separation. I'll bring Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Good. Kevin Bacon, ejaculation. Separation. Thank you so much, John Benjamin Hickey. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for not being John Hinckley. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Thank you so much to Rob Schulte. Thank you to ACAST. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you to Russ and Daughters, um, as well as Factory, F-C-T-R-Y. And come to a live show if you can. Friday, April 28th, Thursday, May 24th, employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out more info. And otherwise, have a good one. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>